Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. This is QD Clinic. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. Meetings that matter, meetings that change the way you think. It's going to be a big one. It's just a few days away. Register at roomnow.live. Today's case, who's to blame? Sylvie is a 63-year-old white female who has psoriatic arthritis for the last seven years. She's not doing well. Uh, if you look back at her CDI scores beginning about eight months ago, it was nine, then it was 15, then it was 17. Last month, it was 17. Uh, most recent presentation is 21. Not good. Previously, the patient had been treated with methotrexate, leflunamide, prednisone, and infliximab, and her, thera her therapies have changed seeming like, seemingly over like every six months. There's a new drug that gets changed or added. Currently, the patient was taking cyclosporin uh, and etanercept, and this has been going on for about a year and a half. She's obese. She um, has high blood pressure. On exam, she has um, a BMI of 36. She has a tender joint count of 10, a swollen joint count of six, um, fingers, MCPs, wrists, and knees. She has stasis changes in her legs and some edema. Um, and my light went out. And uh, her CDI is currently 21. So she's got active disease. Um, past medical history of hypertension and diabetes, um, for which she takes metformin. Um, the bad news is Sylvia presents to the hospital with a fever of 102 and short of breath. Um, she gets worked up, gets put on antibiotics. Uh, chest x-ray shows she has pneumonia. She is not doing well. She goes to the ICU. She gets hypotensive. She's found to have sepsis and she dies. It's a sad story. It happens. The question is, you're filling out the death certificate. What does she die from? What do you put down as the cause of death? I can tell you what the resident would put down. They would put down immunosuppression due to the TNF inhibitor and cyclosporin. Wrong. They could have put down if they were learned in the ways of psoriatic disease and it's linked to comorbidities, the comorbidities killed her. She had hypertension, obese, she could have had an MI, Lord knows. Maybe the comorbidities killed her. Maybe, but I don't think so. It's not on the top of my list. If you really wanted to get um, play detective here, you'd say those stasis ulcers in the edema, you know, she probably had the beginnings of maybe a skin ulcer. Maybe that's how she got septic. Maybe that's how she died. Well, she had stasis changes that were chronic and there were no new cracks in her skin uh, or leg ulcers to be um, uh, pointed out at this point. The number one cause of death here is psoriatic arthritis. Inflammation kills. Everyone wants to blame the prednisone, the comorbidities, you know, the immunosuppression, especially those drugs that they don't understand, that they think are horribly immunosuppressive, that the television says every night, all, all the stuff when they're advertising, you know, whatever biologic on television to be worried about infection, infection, infection. And that's just cover your butt kind of advertising rather than really teaching. Um, and certainly infection was the final event. 
It, but it was from pneumonia that led to sepsis, and she's at higher risk of infection because of her inflammation. Now, true that other things play into that inflammation that leads to infection risk, including comorbidities, including her weight, including her other past medical histories. But the one that people don't blame is the disease, and that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room that needs to be paid attention to first. This really comes into play when you start thinking about, well, she has an infection, now what can I use? Well, now you're gonna wimp out and not use the most effective drugs because they have a warning about infections with them. Well, the patient is already a high-risk patient. To use lesser drugs in a high-risk situation is to ensure her outcome one way or the other, meaning she's gonna be disabled and die from disability and her disease, or she's going to um, and, not and not have her inflammation control. Or does the drug actually cause the, the death? No, it really doesn't. But again, it really does get complicated when people have all, you know, hitting, hitting on all cylinders, meaning it's, it's age, it's steroids, it's comorbidities, it's, you know, the drugs, it's the uncontrolled inflammation. They're adding a drug does seem to add risk, but the risk is already high. In such patients, the risk of having a serious infectious event is often more than 50% in the next year, but you have to get control of inflammation. These are hard cases to manage. I just wanted you to be sure as to why the patient died. Tune in for more QD Clinics tomorrow. Welcome to Room Now. Welcome to QD Clinics. I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Room Now is brought to you by Room Now Live, March 19th and 20th. Great rheumatologists like us go to great meetings like this. Be there. Today's case is not really a case. It's a discussion. And it's a discussion of the next revolution in rheumatology. What? Is a revolution in rheumatology happening? Yes. And it came to me as I was watching the goings on in clinic the other day, um, I was sitting amidst a group of women and I was watching how they were interacting. Um, and they certainly were interacting really well. They got along great. They were aligned on a lot of things with regard to the task at hand, their jobs, but also what was going on in their lives. And, and I think that the growth of women in medicine and in rheumatology is the next great revolution. And I think that women need to be even more cognizant of this than men. Smart men will realize that this is happening. Um, just look at what's happening right now in medical schools. More than 50% of most classes um, are female and, uh, and the graduating numbers are the same. And that's what we're going to be seeing in multiple disciplines. And rheumatology is particularly enriched in um, the number of women who want to go into rheumatology because of lifestyle issues and happiness. And Lord knows we can continue to be the happiest of disciplines by having more women in it. Um, I want you to think about a few things. Um, think about great statesmen in the United States. You know, everyone would point back to maybe the birth of the nation in the 1700s, and you can rattle off a few big names. Um, think about music and the growth of music and the revolutions in music, jazz in the 30s, swing in the 40s, 
rock legends all seem to have come from, you know, the 70s. Uh, Hip hop has its own new generation. Uh, And, you know, I I was sort of part of this. I actually saw Linda Ronstadt in the late 1970s. I got a job working for a concert promoter and saw a lot of people on their way up, a lot of big names. And I got into this, I got this particular job because I was so enamored with the music of, of Ronstadt. And um, I was surprised when she was on stage, she wasn't really comfortable on stage, but one of the things that she did between songs is she would introduce her next song and she would sort of revere and extol the wonders of other female singers. She didn't do it to other male singers or other people who wrote her music. She sang songs written by others and she was really um, promotional in talking about Emmylou Harris and Dolly Parton and uh, Bonnie Raitt. And and I thought, this is odd that this up-and-coming rock star is promoting these other women in music and not necessarily competitors of hers. Maybe, like, you know, Bonnie Raitt was in a different lane. Emmylou Harris was just starting out in country and rock, and, and Dolly Parton was a staple in country. But she revered them and basically turn the audience on to them, including me. Um, and, you know, it's just like what I've been mentioning about elder statesmen and rock and roll. There are these revolutions that happen and they happen because they have heroes and heroes beget mentors and mentors and heroes together start and sustain the revolution. So women in rheumatology, you need to sort of foster each other help each other, grow the next, you know, big heroes and mentors who are going to take other women in rheumatology under their, under their wings. The numbers are staggering. In the 2015 ACR workforce study, 59% were men, 41% were women, and that was changing. By 2030, this is going to increase at least 14 to 20% more, and men and women should be closer to equal at that point. In Canada, it looks like it may already have happened. In 2000 and and then 2015, the number percentage of women in Canada who are rheumatologists grew from 27% to over 42% in 15-year period. And then a recent survey in 2020 um, of the respondents, 62% were women. Are women, women more likely to respond to surveys? The point is that women need to take control and drive this bus, make the revolution. And along the way, Identify the problems that are unique to women, fix those problems. Don't cannibalize each other in your pursuit to lead the pack. I mean, it's not necessary. There's plenty of of greatness to go around, plenty of leadership positions. Women need to promote women in rheumatology and rheumatology will will be the better for it. We need this to happen because women are the future of rheumatology. Guess how many women we have on the program at Room Now Live? Oh my goodness, we've got a ton of them. Janet Pope, Alexis Agdi, um, uh, Joan Merrill, uh, Karen Kostenbatter, um, Sonali Narain, um, that I'm leaving someone out. There's a few, a few more in there. Um, we've got a lot of great speakers at Room Now Live. We'll see you there. Take care. Hi, this is QD Clinic. I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live, occurring in but a few days from now. 
Room Now Live will be full of interesting people, both in the audience and on stage, and the interaction between the two should be mesmerizing. Today's case, Muy Rapida Medicina, Very Fast Medicines. What? So, saw this lady today. She's 25 years old. She's on hydroxychloroquine. She... I asked her to come back in because I got her labs back. When I first saw her, she only had a few swollen joints, like two knees and maybe a toe or something odd. And she had been called rheumatoid arthritis, and I wasn't certain. She had been on hydroxychloroquine just a week at that point. I continued the medicine, got labs. Labs came back strongly positive for, you know, inflammation and RA, you know, RF and CCP off the charts, um, set rate 125, CRP 111. Um, so she comes back in. She's not doing better after having been on hydroxychloroquine for or five weeks. She's also taking a non-steroidal. And the question is, how long is it going to take for her to get the benefit of the medicine? What she needs is a medicine that works faster. She's a mom. She's got two jobs. She can barely walk. And the question is, what do you give her when she needs to be better yesterday. I think the first issue is, what are the expectations on the medicines we use? If you need a fast response, well, they're really just a few, right? Steroids work the fastest, um, but steroids are the most toxic. And will you remember to reduce and discontinue them? I will often use steroids as bridge therapy, either as a single intramuscular injection to get them going, followed by some low-dose prednisone five a day, or a tapering dose, medrol dose pack, or 20 for a week, 15 for a week, 10 for a week, five for two weeks, and then hopefully the DMARD's kicking in. But I, I want them off prednisone, and I don't like using prednisone. I try to find reasons to not use prednisone. If I need something to work faster, then... Um, you know, in the old days, I think David Ridley taught me this from Minnesota, and that was, you know, um, start them on methotrexate. It's not, they're not going to be better for at least six weeks, probably eight weeks. Start them on a TNF inhibitor at the same time. Get approval for one, two, or three doses or something like that to boost them, get them started. Maybe they can just be maintained. And I think what we were using back then was a few doses of either uh, etanercept or a few infusions of infliximab. And then the patient would be able to continue their job. You know, they were breadwinners, you know, people who couldn't take time off due to a disability, yet they were disabled. How do you help them get over? You know, pain medicine, non-steroidals are not going to do it. Steroids have a limited effect. DMARs will work, but not too soon. So maybe you could use a TNF inhibitor because TNF inhibitors, you know, I, I used to say that giving a TNF inhibitor was uh, how to create a born-again rheumatoid, meaning you give them one, two shots or infusions, and boom, they're born-again rheumatoids. They want to go bungee jumping and join the Marines. They feel freaking fantastic because you've alleviated inflammation unlike anything that they've tried thus far. And that's not even yet at a complete response, but they have a noticeable response and can resume function. So high on the list for fast responses, TNF inhibitors, along with steroids. Next are going to be JAK inhibitors. The JAK inhibitors, I must say, are impressive. Um, the very first time I saw the data on a JAK inhibitor, uh, Pfizer invited me to an ad board and showed me data on a six-week trial of their new drug that was became to be tofacitinib. 
And I said, what are these knuckleheads doing? A tr- an RA trial six weeks long? Well, sure enough, there were demonstrably improved responses by week two. And complete responses often achieved by week six or eight with some of the jack inhibitors. So jacks work fast. And if that's in the equation, fast is what I need, we rapida, then maybe a jack or a TNF or steroids. But everything else is setting expectations. Hydroxychloroquine, very few people are better at four weeks or five weeks. They really need eight to 12 weeks to get better. Methotrexate, some are better at six and eight, but they really need 12. Most of the drugs that we use, in fact, have a peak response somewhere around 12 to 14 weeks, with JAX being somewhat faster. Even the TNF inhibitors don't have a peak response until 12 to 14 weeks. So again, you need to set expectations with the patient as far as how fast they're going to get better. What did I do in this patient? Started the patient on a TNF inhibitor because, well, that seemed to be the right choice. They had failed other therapies that allowed them to be on a TNF inhibitor. So hopefully we'll see a good response within the next two or three weeks. That's it for this episode of QD Clinic. Welcome to QD Clinic. I am Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. It's a day and a half of exciting interchange between you, the expert, and the other experts who write about the things that you want to know about. Does that make any sense? I think it does. We'll see you on Saturday and Sunday in Dallas or online. Um, Today's case is um, how to manage the wish to get pregnant. So I'm seeing a patient. She's 39 years old. She's taking azathioprine, and uh, she did not previously do well on methotrexate or leflunamide, and um, and still not doing well on just azathioprine and a non-steroidal and two and a half milligrams of prednisone. So what are you going to do? Well, clearly there is so much we can do at this point. And so, you know, I wanted to start the patient on, we went through all the options, combination therapy with oral DMARDs or adding a JAK inhibitor or a biologic TNF, IL-6, abatacept, all the, you know, all the choices. And then she drops on me, she's 39, she wants to get pregnant. She's been pregnant three times before, no miscarriages, no um, uh, um, um, lost pregnancies. So she says she wants to get pregnant. She's not, much to my surprise, taking any birth control, and she doesn't want to start on that, and and she doesn't want to wait because she knows her window is closing. So what drugs would you use in someone like this? Well, the number one drug clearly has got to be TNF inhibitors. The TNF inhibitors, um, number one, tons of people who've conceived on them, tons of people who who carried the whole pregnancy on a TNF inhibitor. And the complication rate for being on a TNF inhibitor at birth is very, very low. But if you want to make that zero, then sertolizumab is your favorite choice. But all of them work. In my case, I think I would like to see sertolizumab or etanercept for a shorter half-life as opposed to adalimumab or um, um, uh, uh, golimumab or even infliximab. But they all would be just fine choices. Which would you use next? Well, I got enough right there. I don't need to go to next. Now, I have treated patients 
who want to get pregnant or during pregnancy with abatacept, with IL-6 inhibitors, and with JAK inhibitors, um, and even with rituximab. It's just that there isn't the same amount of safety data as has been accrued with the TNF inhibitors. So bottom line is you got to control inflammation if you want to make a baby. A healthy mom is necessary to make a healthy baby. Do that by whatever means necessary with only a few rules in place. Number one, the drug you're not allowed to use during pregnancy is mycophenolate. That's a clear-cut teratogen, a big major no-no, much more so than methotrexate or leflunamide, which are also on the list of drugs you probably don't want to use. Plenty of people have conceived um, and gotten pregnant and done well throughout their pregnancy on azathioprine, on TNF inhibitors. In fact, you should look at the PIANO study by Uma Mahadevan from UCSF, a study of, I think, 1,300 Crohn's and ulcerative colitis patients and how they were treated, showing that thiopurines, 6-MP and azathioprine, and biologics, mainly TNF inhibitors, did not untowardly affect the, the pregnancy or the mother and led to more successful pregnancy outcomes and no risk of malformations. So uh, why not consider that? Oh, by the way, uh, Dr. Mahadevan is going to be giving a step talk, a TED-like talk on Saturday at Room Now Live. Um, she has a great lesson, which is, you know, the hazards of, of stopping your DMARDs in someone who wants to get pregnant is way, way worse than you can possibly imagine. Listen to her lecture. I think it, I'm going to find it instructive. We'll see you in Dallas or online in a few days.